Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty words and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loose, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and with his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would not set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the res resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you've crucified. Thank you. Thanks, Liam. Good evening, everybody. Hey, why don't we just pray together? as we open God's word. Father, thank you already for the precious time we've enjoyed in your presence. And uh, Lord, we once again thank you for uh, this opportunity of meeting together, of being able to listen, to hear what you're doing through your word, even through Gideon's, all around the world, just amazing stuff. And you are an amazing God, and we just thank you that we're worshipping and we're in the presence of an amazing God tonight. And Lord, may he be pleased to do amazing things in our lives as we open ourselves to him and his word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, what happened last week? Seems a long time ago. We celebrated Easter. Now, can anybody tell me what significant event took place 40 days after the resurrection of Christ? I think I'm going to have to help you heck of a lot with this one. You got it? He's yelling out. He what, sorry? Yeah, no, that was a bit afterwards, but he ascended. It was the ascension. 40 days after uh, Christ uh, was raised from the dead, he ascended. 
So the day, the, the Ascension Day is Thursday, is actually Thursday, 40 days um, after Easter. Uh, so that's May 10th, if you want to put that date down. But normally it's celebrated the following Sunday, which would put it at Sunday the 13th, which happens to be Mother's Day. So there you go. The Ascension of Christ celebrated on Mother's Day, 13th of May. Yep. Jesus ascended, praise God for that. He ascended into glory, having completed all, everything. It is finished, he said, on the cross, and he had completely finished all that the Father required of him as the sacrificial lamb of God. He was then received into God's presence those 40 days after. So, you know, I don't know, tonight we worship. I don't know if you've thought of it this way. I suppose as I was writing this and thinking about it, we worship the crucified Christ who became the buried Christ, who became the resurrected Christ, who became the ascended Christ. What an amazing person this Jesus is that we worship and adore tonight. Listen to what Acts says. I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, listen to what, uh, what uh, Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 and then 9. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. And then in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, 19 to 20, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. What a, an amazing uh, God we worship tonight. These words used in Mark's Gospel are also a wonderful fulfilment of the prophecy of Psalm 110, verse 1. So many prophecies were fulfilled uh, when Jesus went to the cross, was buried and, and rose again and ascended. Um, this was just one. Psalm 110, verse 1, which was read to us just recently, just before. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And the apostle Peter, in his sermon to the crowd on that day of Pentecost made many references to the ascended Christ and that it was a fulfilment of the prophetic promise of God. Listen to those triumphant words once again, Acts 2, 32 to 36. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Verse 34, for David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Interesting, the Lord said to my Lord. What he was saying was the Lord, so the Father God, Yahweh, said to my Lord, the Son, Adonai. So the Lord, the Lord, the Father was saying to the Son, Yahweh, Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. So what does it mean for us as believers? What does the ascended Christ now mean for believers today? Yep, we know that he was crucified. We know that he was buried. We know that he rose again on the third day. But how much do we know about what's going on now with this ascended Christ? What's happening? What, what does it mean for us here as believers? Well, let me just suggest four things to us tonight to have a think about. Four things that might make us even more say, Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing right now. The living Christ, the ascended Christ. Four things I want to share with you tonight. First thing, the ascended Christ at God's right hand intercedes for believers. The ascended Christ at God's right hand intercedes for us, for you and me, for believers. Romans 8, 35, 33, 35. Magnificent verses. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Another scripture, Hebrews 7, 24, 25. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Powerful words, aren't they? Our Lord Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, acts as our advocate. He's like a lawyer. He acts as our lawyer. And the good news is that he guarantees to win our case every time. Do you get that? He guarantees to win your case every time. And I don't think there's too many law firms that would give you that kind of guarantee. I don't think they'd be game to. But because the ascended Christ is now exalted to the right hand of God, he also intercedes for us, for believers. I don't know what sort of a picture you've got uh, when we think about Christ interceding for us. It's not that Jesus is on his knees pleading with the Father who kind of acts like a judge, you know, and who needs to be convinced that we deserve to be given the not guilty verdict and pardoned. Because intercede could also mean plead too. It has that reference to it. Do you get that? Sometimes I used to have a picture like that. Interceding, pleading for us. Is it Jesus having to plead to the Father? Please, Father, forgive that person. And the Father kind of goes, well, yeah, okay, maybe. You know, that, that kind of reluctance. If that's the picture that you've got, then, then it's the wrong picture. And I used to have a picture like that in my head once, but now it's a bit different. Mine's a bit abstract, I suppose, but I picture it a bit like this. Picture the son sitting at the right hand of the father and the father glances across, if you like, and looks at the right hand of the son and then he looks at the left hand of the son and what does the father see? Tell me, what does he see? There is actually man-made, there is a man-made thing in heaven and it is the 
It's the scars on the hands and the feet and the side of the Lord Jesus. Remember he had those scars when he appeared to Thomas and said, Thomas, stop doubting. Put your fingers into my scars. This was the resurrected Christ, correct? He's got those scars, I believe, today. And the father only has to look at his son. And all the evidence of a price paid in full at the cross for our redemption, for a not guilty (laughs) verdict, for our position of righteousness before a holy God. He doesn't have to get on his knees and plead. The father looks at the son and says, it's all done. Everything's done. And those who put their faith in Jesus, you're given that not guilty verdict. You stand righteous before the most high and holy God. Why? It's all because of what Jesus Christ did for you. You got nothing yourself. He's done it all. Only he could do it. So let me just ask a question. You know, how long has it been since you looked intently into the nail-pierced hands of your Saviour? I wasn't going to say this, but it's just come into my head. I had a dear friend of mine in another church who shared a testimony with me. His testimony was this. He was angry with God. There was a whole lot of stuff going on in his life. This guy had a problem with anger. And he was angry and resentful for God, before God, for quite a long time. And one day, he got, one day he really let fly at God. He said to God, you don't understand what's been going on in my life. And as he said that, he had this vision straight away of this big hand that flopped right down in front of him. And here he could see this great big hole in this hand. That's the vision God gave him when he said, you don't understand how I'm hurting. And God gave him that vision, powerful stuff. It fixed him up. He had a different attitude after that. We need to look into the hands, the feet, the sides and say, Jesus, thank you. How can we say thank you enough for what he's done for us? John Bunyan, in his publication, Grace Abounding, uh, which apparently was written during his 12-year prison sentence in England back in the 1600s. It was published in 1666. Grace Abounding. This is what he says in part of that. He says, but one day as I was passing in the field, and that too with some dashes on my conscience, fearing lest, yet uh, feeling least, uh, yet was not right. I hope you're getting this. It's really old-fashioned English. Fearing lest, yet all was not right. Suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And I thought, then I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, is my righteousness. So that whenever, wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he needs my righteousness. For that was just before him. Jesus was before him. I also saw furthermore that It was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen? 
Yeah. The ascended Christ is at the Father's right hand and he intercedes for you and for me. Secondly, the ascended Christ prepares a place for us, a place in heaven for you and me. We could also say that the ascension of Christ guarantees our own ascension. Paul reminded the Thessalonian believers of this glorious truth when he wrote these inspired words that God gave him to the Thessalonians. He says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and listen... And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The Lord Jesus himself wanted to encourage his, at that particular time, his discouraged disciples with these wonderful words of promise when he explained this to them. These magnificent words, which we, I'm sure we're all familiar with. Let me read them again. John 14 1 to 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive it in myself that where I am, there you may be also. Beautiful words. They're the words that we need to share with each other. I sometimes share this particular scripture with people who are dying in hospital. People who are in those last days. Sensitively, they know they are. But it's a word of, a word of assurance to them. And it can bring such comfort to strained, fearful hearts at times when you read scripture like that. And you bathe yourself in God's word. So how do you feel, child of God, tonight? Knowing that the ascended Christ has gone ahead of you to prepare a dwelling place for you in his eternal heaven. Now, most of us here, I'm sure, aren't sort of wanting to hurry up that time when you will be in heaven. I'm sure I can say that okay. But can you say this tonight? Can you say with absolute assurance tonight, with the psalmist, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say that? Psalm 23, 6. I, not that I hope that I will. Hope I've done enough good things. That's nonsense. It's got nothing to do with what you do. It's all about what Jesus has already done. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because of the cross, because of the grave, because of the empty tomb, because of the ascension, resurrection ascension. Paul Lee Tan, he, he records a little poem that goes like this. It's called Just Think. Just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven. Of taking hold of a hand and finding it God's hand. 
of breathing new air and finding it heavenly air, (laughs) of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality, of passing from storm and tempest to an unbroken calm, of waking up and finding it home. We're home at last. The ascended Christ, he intercedes for you and me. The ascended Christ prepares a place in heaven for you and me. Thirdly, the ascended Christ made it possible for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be given to you and me. In our passage from Acts 2 verse 38 refers to that. But Jesus also taught his disciples in this, John 16. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor, who's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his, on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This promise of the Lord Jesus was fulfilled on that day in the upper room when the disciples had gathered in Acts chapter 2 described as the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them in power and filled their lives changed their lives dramatically and for some reason even though Jesus explained it in in some way but, but for some reason the disciples they're not told why but Jesus needed to ascend to the Father so the Holy Spirit could be sent to them and not only but wondrously and miraculously not just sent to them but sent to indwell them just as he indwells you and me today when we open the door of our heart and we say Jesus come into my life because I am a sinner I deserved your wrath and condemnation But your free gift of love, your free gift, your indescribable gift is Jesus who gave his life for me on the cross. He's my salvation. Lord, I invite him in to my life. When you do that, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. It may be helpful to recognise that when Jesus was physically uh, with his disciples, he would work with them. Yep through external teaching and by examples and and as a physical being, working with his disciples. Whereas the Holy Spirit, because he is spirit, could work within them. Theologian Millard Erickson, he explains it simply like this. He says, having a more intimate access to the centres of their lives, he would be able to work through them more freely. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts as believers today and once again um, Jesus explained this to his disciples by saying in John chapter 14 verse 12 he says I tell you the truth 
Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So going to the Father meant sending the Holy Spirit to his church who are therefore then empowered and commissioned to continue his work on earth of making disciples of all nations. And just as we've heard a little bit this morning, uh, to this evening from Gideon's, it's always a good idea to, to sort of come before the Lord and, and to do a bit of a spiritual health check, you know, by asking, Lord, how are we doing with this great commission that you've given us? How am I doing? Lord, when did I last have an opportunity just to share my testimony? I'm not a preacher, I'm not a theologian, but... But you've saved me. You changed my life. When have I last had that opportunity to tell someone how you changed my life? Lord, would you help me do that? And you'd be surprised the people that God will bring across your path. Quite unexpectedly. Where God will enable you to simply share something of your journey and how Jesus has changed your life. And because it's authentic, because you're real and true and you know Jesus, they will see it in your eyes. They will see it that you're not bluffing them. You're not trying to have a lend of them. You're not doing any of that. You're telling the truth and they will see it. It's powerful. Let God have you and ask that question, Lord, when did I last share it? My faith, please, would you give me the courage and let it happen tomorrow? Who wants to pray that prayer? Oh, not too many of you. Pray for you tonight. You also need to remember and be encouraged that because of Christ's ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit is Jesus in you. Jesus is with you. You're not going out on your own. It's not as if Jesus says, go on, off you go, off you go. He says, I am with you, always, always. Even to the very end of the age, I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I am with you. And in fact, because of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, he is within you. They're not a place you can go where you don't go with Jesus and Jesus with you. You need to know that. Fourthly, the ascended Christ enables believers. This is, a, this is an interesting one, a bit of a mystery with this, I think. But the ascended Christ enables believers to share now and in the future his authority over all the universe. Let's unpack that one. The ascended Christ enables believers to share now and in the future his authority over the universe. In the future, I say, because in the age to come, Paul teaches us just simply by saying this, 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 this uh, teaching this verse, this scripture to the Corinthians, who were getting themselves all caught up and muddled up with trivial stuff, fighting with each other and then hauling each other off to court. And Paul saying, for goodness sake, you're letting this trivial rubbish take, you know, fill your, your life. You're being predisposed, all this nonsense. He said, don't you know that in the future... And then he says in verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2, don't you know that the saints or the believers in Christ, that's, what the saints, that's who the saints are, 
He says, don't you know that the saints or the believers will judge the world? And in verse 3 he says, don't you know that we will judge angels? He says, that's what you're going to be doing in the future. So don't get caught up. If, you, if we're going to be judging angels, we've got to judge the world, surely you can sort out your own squabbles in the church. These promises won't be realised in this life. But it is, however, important to understand that when the scripture speaks of Christ being at the right hand of God, not only does it mean where Christ is physically positioned in heaven, but I believe it's also a description of Christ's power, of his authority, and that he is actively ruling over all creation. So what does that mean for you and me when the apostle says words like this, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8? Try and get your head around these words. And God raised us up with Christ. Yep, but listen to this. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Get your head around that one. Get your heart around that one. Read it over and over again. Let it sink in. Let it wash over you. Let it bathe you. Let it heal you. What does it mean? Well, although, although we're not physically in heaven yet, but in the spiritual realm, we are seated with Christ now because the word of God says so. Bible commentator John Stott, he puts it like this. He says, For if we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, there can be no doubt what we are sitting on. Thrones. Moreover, this talk about solidarity with Christ in his resurrection and exaltation is not a piece of meaningless Christian mysticism. It bears witness to a living experience that Christ has given us, on the one hand, a new life with a sensitivity, a sensitive awareness of the reality of God and a love for him and a love for his people. And on the other hand, a new victory with evil increasingly under our feet. We were dead, but have been made spiritually alive and alert. We were in captivity, but have been enthroned. I don't know if I fully comprehended that one myself. Maybe you have. But it's good to ponder that and think about it and unpack it. Say, Lord, just give me that revelation of what that really means. That I may glorify you even more. We also, along with the ascended Christ, have the power and authority of Christ right now to come against the forces of darkness right now and I'm, I know you know that I've said I've mentioned that and you've heard it be, being preached before let me just say again that we also along with the ascended Christ have the power and authority of Christ to come against the forces of darkness 
right now. And this is another passage I'm sure we all know. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And folks, it's only by the power and authority of the seated, ruling, triumphant Christ. And because you and I are seated with him, that we're able to contend with such a formidable, yep, he is formidable, but defeated foe. Satan is defeated. Hallelujah. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. But also observe the weapons that we've been given to claim and to affect that kind of authority that we have to defeat the enemy. Notice these weapons. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, sorry. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. What do they do? Listen, to demolish strongholds. And that's why prayer is important. That's why intercessory prayer is important. I don't care who you are. You might have only been a Christian for a short time. You might feel, but my prayers are so weak. You get on your knees before God, quietly on your own somewhere, and pray to him. You'd be surprised how powerful those prayers are. Why? Because you'll find that the enemy will do all kinds of things to try and distract you and keep you from doing it. Because he knows that he's defeated. And he knows that you've got that power over him in your prayer. So I just want to challenge you about that. So the challenge for us really is this. How often are we using these weapons that God's given us? You know, and are we keeping our skills, weapon handling, are we keeping those skills constantly in tune? <laughs> Talking to George. George has got a smile on his face. I know he's an ex-military person. Soldiers constantly are being trained and exercised to retain their knowledge, their skills and practice in weapon handling. They constantly have to practice. They are constantly tested. And the thing is, they can get penalised and charged if they get it wrong. If they do something stupid that they shouldn't do because they've been trained better than that. They can be charged. They can be penalised. And even as an army chaplain, some might not agree with this, but when I was as a reserve army chaplain, I was required as part of my training to qualify in the handling and the operation of the ADF standard issue weapon. I had to do that. It wasn't a big deal to me. It probably would have been for others. But we had to do that to qualify even as a chaplain. But after that, after that, I was also entitled as a chaplain, as a padre, to waiver my right to ever have to use it again. And that's what I did. I even had some of my soldiers saying to me, and they used these words, they would say, padre, not kosher, not good kosher. 
to see a padre with a sidearm or a weapon. <laughs> no, padre, you don't do that. And I respected these guys for saying that. These were senior NCOs. These were senior men and women who knew better. And they said, we don't want you carrying a weapon. That's what we're for. Isn't that fantastic? But we had to be trained in using that. I had the right to waver and I would do that. I kind of figured that I'd played with guns enough when I was a young soldier. Didn't want to do it anymore. However, for you and me, believer here tonight, soldiers you are of the ascended Christ. We dare not waver, but we strive to be skillful and familiar with the heavenly weaponry of divine power and authority, don't we? How do we do that? Just quickly, three things here. How do we do that? How do we strive to keep our skills and our, and our uh, familiarity with our weaponry? By daily reading and meditating on God's word. The first one. Reading, meditating, and I'd like to add another one, by memorising. Invite you to do scripture memory. It's good to do. I've been slack. I haven't memorised much for a while. By daily reading, meditating on God's word. Secondly, by prayer and worship personally. You need those times of one-on-one -on -one with God. Good to come here. We need to do it corporately as well. That's part of it. But you need that one-to-one -one time with your Lord. Do that. Thirdly, by sharing our faith with others. I believe that's part of it. You get out and share your faith. Tell someone what Jesus means to you. Pray that God will open that door. I'm challenging you to do that this week. I challenge you to pray that prayer before you go home tonight. Lord, help me to share my faith this week. He knows that you're probably full of fear and trembling, but give that to him too. Let him show you how he can use you this week. Perhaps you might grab a Gideon's Bible and hand it to someone. There you go. Friends of Gideon. Sharing our faith with others because, firstly, and I'll finish here, the ascended Christ, he intercedes for believers. He prepares a place in heaven for you and me. He made possible the gift of the Holy Spirit for you and me. Fourthly, he enables believers to share now and in the future his authority over the universe and even over the evil one. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for our whole worship time together here tonight. We thank you that we stand on solid ground, absolutely assured, no matter what happens. You've promised to be with us. You are the ascended Christ. You're the God who sits at the right hand of the Father. You're the God who shares that absolute authority and power. And Lord, in that incredibly mysterious way. You've shared it with us as well. Help us to learn, we pray. Help us to grow. Help us to love you more every day. Spend time with you more every day. And to be fully operational in the use of your weaponry, Lord, that you give us, putting on the full armour of God. Show us how that works in our own personal lives. And Father, I want to pray for every brother and sister here tonight. I pray that you will delight their hearts and that they will sense your pleasure as you open the way, bring someone across their path this week that they can share something of their love for you. 
Take away embarrassment. Take away anything that would keep them or impede them from doing that. Shyness. Take it all away. Give them boldness and courage and fill their mouth with your words. And may they see God at work even through each of us here tonight. And Father, we give you all the glory and the praise because we worship not only a resurrected Christ, but the ascended Christ, God Almighty. And we thank you. He's with us here tonight. And he goes before us into the week that lies ahead. And we bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Bless you, church.